Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Hello, my name is Joe Armstrong. Thank you ever so much for listening to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. This week on Independence Day, Eli Wolfmeyer. Most musicians can readily tell you about their influences, but the best musicians can tell you who it was that influenced their influences. They're always going a step farther back in time, and they know full well that all of us here in the current age are standing on the shoulders of the shoulders of giants. The genre of classic rock casts a long shadow, and six decades on from Chuck Berry, Bill Haley, and Elvis Presley, teenagers of the new millennium are just as apt to want a turntable and a laptop as an electric guitar. But many songs from the heyday of rock and roll have found a second life in video games like Rock Band and Guitar Hero, as well as in beer commercials. Eli Wolfmeyer grew up a musician, but he sounds like an apple that fell directly off the Allman Brothers tree. On guitar, Wolfmeyer's trick bag is full of tried-and-true rock and roll licks, and he executes them with a smooth flair and tasteful approach that can at times lean towards the incendiary. Vocally, he shows an affinity for the amped-up blue-eyed soul of the best legacy rock singers. And after spending the last decade in California honing his guitar chops by playing with the likes of Shelby Lynn, Joe Purdy, Leslie Stevens, and Johnny Fritz, Wolfmeyer has formed a new trio of his own to allow him to showcase his considerable talents as a songwriter, guitarist, and singer. That trio, called Leroy from the North, has a style that is not quite jam band territory, but the three-piece format does allow him the flexibility to improvise and change arrangements on the fly. Wolfmeyer hews close enough to the elemental building blocks of rock that his songs, singing, and guitar playing sound comfortably familiar, and he's got enough talent in his approach that it still sounds fresh. Welcome to Independence Day, Eli Wolfmeyer. Hey, Eli, what's going on, man? Hey, how you doing? Thank you for I'm having good. me. I'm good. I'm good. I'm looking forward to having you on the show now that you're here. Uh, I just learned of you not too terribly long ago. You were one of the early... Were you the first on the first night of the Grand Ole Echo this that, year? Yeah, that's right. Like on the back porch? Yep. Uh, and you've got a band called Leroy from the North. That's right, yeah. Which is, uh, it's a three-piece. Yeah. Which is something, you don't see a ton of that. No, it's uh, it's economical. It is sure. economical. <laughs> we'll get more into the three-piece thing here in just a second. Um, but uh, you're California-based, grew up in the Midwest, mm-hmm. uh, Michigan area, as I understand. Um, and the first thing, you know, like I have an idea in my head what I think you sound like, right? But I want to hear it, like pretend you're in an elevator with David Geffen all of a sudden. Like I call this the elevator pitch, or you're, you're like with some record, or Rick Rubin's there, yeah, yeah, at a party, like, and he just goes, "Hey, man, you're you're a cool kid. What does your band sound like? Like, what what would you what would you describe it from your perspective? Uh, you know, I, I wrote that it's uh, it's kind of like a a tracksuit with a uh, cowboy hat on, so it's kind of got this rock element with a little bit of country edge. I, yeah, I love Joe Walsh and things like yeah. that. Something with a little bit of a sense of humor. Yeah. Um, guitar driven obviously you know yeah into that now was you know that's the fun there's that line between country and rock that mm-hmm. you've already referenced which is something i mean i myself kind of mine that line or kind of like tow it one way or the other um and it seems like the a lot of the bands in la these days that are very popular in the scene that you and i kind of run in are very twangy mm-hmm. you know it's almost i want to say purist that's not really right because it's all kind of the psychedelic cosmic american thing um but 
like from your perspective, like where did the country come in? Because like I, I come from Chicago area, you come from Michigan area. Like where does where did that come from in your life? You know, I think I grew this mustache out, and all of a sudden I was getting country gigs. So that was, that's all it takes. <laughs> that's all it takes. It's not, that's yeah. not too hard. Yeah. But like, but was there someone in your family? Because like when let me re- let me start from this perspective. Like when I was a kid, country was very uncool. Mm. Oh, like me too. Nobody yeah. wanted to play country music. It was like Kenny Rogers yep. and. Randy Travis and uh, then later Garth Brooks and things like that. Although he even he had started to kind of mix rock and roll in. Yeah. Like, but where did like testing positive for country is a weird thing. I when you come from more. an area where country is not a thing. Yeah, I mean, I I grew up listening to um, Steppenwolf and Free and Humble Pie. You know, a little bit of Grateful Dead here and there, and I guess you know Skinner and that sort of thing. So I guess it leans a little bit country. But yeah, I mean, Garth Brooks couldn't have been less cool where I grew up and. For some reason now, it seems like I'm um, I'm starting to learn some of these songs and you know bands like Waylon and things like that. just stuff I'd never really gravitated towards as a kid, and I'm starting to see it for the first time. And it's yeah. I love it. It's really good songwriting, deep songwriting, deep players. They're all great. Yeah. I think that maybe rock and country are like kissing cousins because yeah. they kind of grew almost out of the same tree, like family tree and like the, the music family tree. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm, and I'm not trying to like put anybody in a box. That's like, not, that's not my, myself included or the other artists that I know that do that. Cause uh, like uh, we have a common friend, Corey mm-hmm. and you know, he, I forgot telling him this. He was talking about my music to someone else. He was like, yeah, it's like 87% rock, 5% country, and then the remaining stuff is just who knows. You know? <laughs> I like that, yeah. And that's kind of, because I, I feel like I'm on the more rock side of country, and I feel like you're in a very similar, yeah, I, I mean, a similar place. I can definitely relate to that. Um, now, when I hear you play, like, I hear a ton of Almond Brothers. I'll in, take that. In what you do. Now, they have a bigger band, certainly not a three-piece. Sure, yeah. Um, but, you know, like, what? so in high school, like, it's such an mm-hmm. important time in people's lives. What were you listening to in high school? I remember... Uh, Eat a Peach was a big one for me. Okay. Uh, Fillmore, you know, the Fillmore right. East thing. Um, a, a lot of Steppenwolf. Um, I was getting into bands like, uh, you know, I always love like Hendrix, like Band of Gypsies and things like that. But it's funny how I love these bands yet sound, I, I find I don't sound anything like them just because right. I, I wish I could play like that or like Dwayne or, right. you know, he's probably my ultimate favorite guitar player. You know, probably a little bit of Pink Floyd here and there too. It all, I feel like it all goes in. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I, in the era I grew up in, classic rock was king. Mm, You know, I was just telling my buddy who was visiting from Chicago the other day that I, like growing up, I didn't really need to listen to, I didn't need to buy Led Zeppelin or the Beatles or like the Eagles. Like I could turn on, back then it was WCKG in the loop in Chicago. Yeah. And because they were on, they were omnipresent on those radio stations. Like, um, and I always tell the story to people, like when I learned how to play guitar, I used to just turn on a classic rock station and then just learn everything that played yeah, as fast yeah. as I could get it, you know, and I would just play that do it for like four hours a night. You know, that's kind of like the, it's like my real book. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like for you, like were you, was guitar your first instrument? Yeah. Well, I, I played a little bit of drums when growing up, um, but yeah, guitar, I was always into playing guitar. Um, at a really young age, I was probably about seven or so and really started getting into it. Um, but yeah, it was a way to, for, for me to kind of just be by myself. And I remember being in school, I can't, I couldn't wait to get home to learn these licks that I, my, you know, a teacher had taught me or whatever. And, and a lot of it was like, you know, Johnny Be Good and that, all that kind of stuff. It just it blew my mind as a kid. Now, were you playing 
like, were you the kind of guitar player who, like, in my high school, there were kind of like two kinds of guitar players. There were like the ones who were like involved in the school stuff. Oh no, definitely not. Or the, then there were the ones who just kind of did stuff on their own. Because like I had, to, I learned jazz. I mean, I can't play it for the life of me really that me, terribly well. Me neither. But I learned it and I played it in the jazz band and up through college even. I didn't. I was not a part of uh, the high school program or like grade school or anything. Um, but yeah, I, it was a lot of just discovery on my own, I guess, just trying to, again, uh, it was sort of, you know, I, it was a nice way to just be by myself and learn this stuff. And I, I mean, I love, you know, rock music. So it never really, the school that I had, that I went to was never really that big into um, the type of music I was looking to get into. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, they didn't have alt-country ensembles yeah. <laughs> in my, I don't know about your high school, but they certainly yeah. didn't in my high school. But even then, like, I mean, that line had been blurred for a long time. I mean, the mm -hmm. Stones played, you know, uh, Sweet Virginia and Dead Flowers and sure, Pink yeah. Floyd. David Gilmour himself played pedal steel and lap steel guitar a little bit. Yeah, I love the, the English take on country music. It's it's totally different. Yeah, I got to meet Albert Lee at, at one point. That's incredible. Uh, not too terribly long ago. You know, he's an older gentleman, but boy, he can, yeah. still, he can still rip it on the guitar, man, I'll tell you. Yeah, he sure can. Um, and so in your household was there music in your in your household then because if it's something you're doing and you're not really doing it at school like was there like an older brother or a dad or a neighbor no, i grew up with four older sisters who uh -oh. uh, yeah no um but my mom played a little bit of piano my dad uh he did not he was more into like the 70s 80s uh more like tina turner private dancer sort of thing i mean he had a perm Okay. So it was, it was something. My mom, you know, she was really into Bob Seger and Ted Nugent, a lot of like the Detroit, you know, guys. Yeah, yeah. Detroit's a rock and roll town. You know, it La, is, La, yeah. what's his name? Uh, well, Seger's from there. Yeah, MC5. Uh, I mean, uh, obviously Motown, mm -hmm. but then uh, Glenn Fry, right? Glenn Fry, that's he's, right. He's from the area, one of the found, founding members of the Eagles, arguably like the main dude. Yeah, yep. Uh, God, there's so many. Uh, well, uh, there's other Detroit rock and rollers, but it's it's a, it's like a working town. Yeah, it is. Working class towns where people like they work hard and they play hard and rock and roll is certainly part of that. Yes, it, yeah. All right, my guest this week on Independence Day, Mr. Eli Wolfmeyer, W-U-L-F-M-E-I-E-R. That's a very rock and roll name, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. I blame my dad. You might have the second best rock and roll name I've ever heard. <laughs> Only bested by a guy I met at Berkeley College of Music named Adrian Fox Baker. Oh my God, that's amazing. Hyphenated last name, but he was also a pilot. Maybe yours is the most pure rock and roll name too. Oh, I'll, I'll take it. Take it, take yeah. it for all it's worth, man. All right, so let's hear something. You've, you're, you're kind of, as far, you've been a sideman for a while, like playing guitar for some pretty well-known people. That's right, yeah. Um, you're a very good guitar player, by the way. Thank very you. talented guy. Um, and now you're working on kind of, your, you've got your own band, Leo, Leroy from the North, We'll talk about that in just a minute. Sure, yeah. uh, but you're working on a new records. You've got some stuff. So this is going to be kind of a preview track that people are yeah, going to hear. Yeah. This will be out by the end of summer, most likely. Yep. Okay. And this is the song. Where do I've got this written down here somewhere? All this piles of garbage I've got here. Oh, this is the song. Buckaroo. Buckaroo. Right? Okay. So Eli Wolfmeyer, the song's Buckaroo on Independence Day. Catch a breath. 
That is Eli Wolfmeyer, this week's guest on Independence Day. You can learn about him on the interwebs at LeroyFromTheNorth.com. And I, even though this is a very lowbrow question, what is the meaning of that name? Like, how is that tied to you? And is it tied to you in any way? <laughs> it, it is. Uh, well, my real name is Leroy. Um, and people would ask me if I'm from the South because I would gravitate to this sort of Southern rock thing. And um, I'm from Michigan, so it just became sort of a play on the whole thing. Did you ever know of a band uh, from, I guess you've been out here about 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. yep. There was a band called, first they were called the Original Brothers and Sisters of Love, oh. and then they were Great Lakes Myth Society, and they were from Ann Arbor. But no, they, but they, they sound amazing. They called themselves Northern Rock, is what they're <laughs> thinking, which is kind of like a, a play on Southern Rock. Yeah, yeah. And they, were, they, I, they played, gosh, a show with my band in Chicago years ago. It's how I learned of them. We were on the same bill. But they were doing like a, a Camper Van Beethoven XTC kind of thing because they had a, oh, a, yeah, that's a great. accordion player and a violin player, but they were certainly rocking, but they weren't Irish. Hmm. Like They weren't doing like that, like that yeah, stomping yeah. Irish thing. And I loved it. God, I loved their music. Interesting. I thought, Are they still around? I, I think the, like the, there was a pair of brothers and then a third writer and then the rest of the guys, but I think uh -huh. the brothers kind of do stuff on their own now. I feel like bands like if you don't achieve some level of success, there's like a life cycle of a band. Yeah. Like it's hard to keep it going past about six years or seven years. And that's right when all the success happens, you know? Yeah, ideally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, the first, so the next thing I want to talk about with you is this band of yours, mm -hmm. Leroy from the North. Excellent. You should, people should check you guys out. It's, Thank it's you. good stuff. It's like hard rocking, but not too hard rocking. Great. It's kind of like that classic rock sweet spot. And, but you've, you're a three piece, which mm -hmm. you don't see a ton of. Like, there's a few things because I, I myself, my new ensemble is a three piece as well. So let's kind of examine that concept, yeah, right? Yeah. Is it based on like economics? Is it based on simplicity? Is it, is it intentional? I guess is the first question. Uh, no, it wasn't intentional. I think it was started off as sort of an economic thing. Um, and then it just, we started, there's the space. You can use a lot of space. You can, um, sort of take your time with it a little bit more and there's less moving pieces. So I think you can take these songs out a little bit and make it fresh every night and know, and sort of read each other's moves a little bit better. Okay. I think. For an improvisatory, yeah, I mean, yeah. you're not playing jazz, but there's a, there's a certain improvisatory aspect to live music. I yeah, guess. I definitely. So it's kind of by design and kind of not by design. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, now that I'm approaching songs that I wrote with a much, you know, and arranged for a much larger band that I'm playing in the context of a three piece, you know, people who aren't musicians maybe not wouldn't think of it this way, but especially if you're singing and playing the lead yeah. instrument, yeah. which is generally guitar. Like it's it's funny. Like I look at it like I'm I'm just starting to figure out that it's it's more because I, I guess I've looked at it as responsibility. Like I feel like now I've like I'm carrying more weight. Definitely. Yeah. You know, but it's also more open that way. You know, do you do you also feel like the responsibility as well? I, absolutely, yeah. It's this um, because you don't want to have too much dead space, too. You know, I think right. you know if you take a solo or something where it can really drop if you're just right. cranking away on some chords, and then all of a sudden you take a solo. You just you have to be mindful of that, I guess, and right, and just kind of carry the the thing. You know, I guess it's when you can go off on a tangent with two other people it, it can be a, a thing it's great you know um, yeah but yes it is there is a little bit of responsibility and there's a lot of relief like you said what responsibility there's responsibility and then yeah. i think that there's also this sort of like you know you let allow these other people to breathe and do right. their thing too yeah because it's it's 
I guess I come from a, you know, my background, definitely rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I liked bands like Pink Floyd, even yeah. though they were a four piece, they had a very, they sound huge, very space, very spacey sound. You know, Gilmore's tone is, is huge. Yeah. You know, even when it's thin or even when it's uh, like clean, it's, it's big sounding, mm-hmm. you know, and then Rick Wright doing all his keyboard stuff. And, you know, and then over the years they incorporated sound effects and yeah. quadraphonic sound and all that stuff. So, uh, it's it's very interesting to approach something f- for me as a musician from that perspective because mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times even like I guess although if you think about it you know there's there's some pretty big bands that are trios here I, <laughs> yeah. I kind of looked this up before we got the Police Rush um, Cream yeah. Jimi Hendrix Nirvana ZZ Top Green Day Uncle Tupelo the James mm-hmm. Gang Joe Walsh's first band yeah and then if you take it one step farther a lot of like the seminal rock bands are really three pieces with an extra singer, singer yeah like Van Halen. Yeah, yeah, Van Halen, classic perfect example. example. Yeah, The Who, mm-hmm. classic example of that. Zeppelin, classic yeah. example. So they're kind of three pieces, but kind of not. Yeah, yeah. Um, so who were the cats who made you want to play guitar? We kind of touched upon guitar a little bit. But like, like were, yeah. was it the same influences you were talking before? You know, a bit. Um, you know, obviously Hendrix. I remember my mom got me Axis Bold as Love um, as a kid, and that that was incredible. Um, I mean, the song Bold as Love and then, you know, Little Wing and all that. Um, you know, and then I'd hear Jimmy Page, obviously, on the on the radio all the time. Um, but I really got into uh, Jerry Garcia, I guess, you know, a little bit later in high school, obviously. And um, and then Randy Bachman, I was a huge Guess Who fan. Um, and I don't, I don't even know what the name of the guitar player is in, in Steppenwolf, but I, I, for some reason that band really... Um, I was just so into that band. I don't know why. They were cool. They were tough. They were yeah. Um, the pusher. That I mean, all the tones. Like he, I guess he played this Esquire with a, a some strange fuzz pedal. I hear it's just like not much information. I, I haven't really looked too far into him, but man, I love that band. Yeah. Now I want you to play a live song first. Mm-hmm. We've got a handful of tunes you're going to play here, and people are going to people are going to dig this. Um, oh, thank you. It's the thing that I I learned having seen you play with your your live ensemble at the Grand Ole Echo not too long ago. People should always check that show out. By the way, yeah, it's, it's great. It's great. They they curate that very very well. Is your music is it's it's very much your own, but it also sounds very familiar. Oh, that's good. You know, it's like it's kind of hewn from the like the classic rock. Like the, the the pillars, like you're not afraid to play, and this is something I get. I like to think I get from Joe Walsh, which you definitely do. Which is, um, you're not afraid to play a, the simple lick, or the simple riff, or the simple chord yeah. progression because it's they're familiar to people. Yeah, you know, um, and you can push them in different ways. Like you can take your solo and do off, go off and do crazy stuff. But like, you know, it's it's hard enough to win over an audience. You know, it's true. Um, and Radiohead does it in their own way, but like to play something that sounds kind of comfortable, even I mean, though it's rocking, like rocking is comfortable. Yeah. I mean, Slash did a great job of doing stuff like that. He did. Taking Aerosmith stuff and totally. I mean, and everyone reinterprets their, uh, their yeah, influences. Yeah. I totally agree. So, Eli, what's this, uh, this first song? What is this one you're going to play here? Uh, I'm going to play a song called Fast Friends. Fast Friends. Tell me just a little bit about it. So, um, the idea was, um, lyrically, this, you know, if you get into a fight with somebody as a kid or whatever, or even as an adult, how it can get really kind of ugly, and and then all of a sudden you're 
somehow closer afterwards. Yeah. And, you know, you can have these sort of relationships where, like, you know, I, I really didn't like that person before this thing happened. And then all of a sudden you guys are, you know, best buddies. And there's this whole turn on at the end of it where I was kind of wanted to make it sort of made up. Like it's just kind of all in my head. So okay. it's kind of that. Tension and release. Tension and release, yes. Yeah. And uh, certainly, you know, being in a band, you know, it's such a funny thing. It's like being married. Like if you're in a three piece, you're married to two other people. That's right. Yeah. And sometimes they're girlfriends or wives as well because yeah. they kind of factor in all those that things. Is, yeah. All right. So Eli Wolfmeyer is the guest this week on Independence Day. This is his song. What do we call this? Fast, Fast Friends. Friends on Independence Day. Last night I had was warm Beat on my chest like an animal Scabs on my hand got busted open Wide open Now he started in and I called him out Said he was a tough guy and he'd seen me around We're gonna fight now no matter what It's already happening, been a long time coming, yeah Got one in and I was bleeding out His left eye cause there's a crowd gathered around Been going for a while till someone called him draw Becoming fast friends, yeah the only one I got Is my best friend, the only one I got Help me find my pills Maybe I'll get some rest Or maybe I won't One of my friends is up And I wonder if I'd hurt him He's my best friend I wonder if he's alright Sick for a while. If only I could see my friend and see if he's alright. It's my best friend, I didn't even know he was dying. It's my only friend, I didn't even know he was dying. On the way to the funeral, well, I got a little lost. By the time I got there, man, everyone had taken off. Just me and my friend and the Lord above. He's my best friend, I didn't even know him at all He's my only friend, I didn't even know him at all He's my best friend, I didn't even know him at all
That's very nice, Eli. Up tempo. Like that's rocking on the acoustic, man. Thank you. Very Thank nice. You. Thanks. Very nice. This is Eli Wolfmeyer. He's my guest on Independence Day this week. I'm Joe Armstrong. Come to you Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Pacific time. Check us out at indepthday.com, I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y.com. Also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, etc. Always in-depth day. It's basically me, but it's uh, <laughs> that's what I go. That's my guy. That's like my superhero. It's my Clark Kent name, I guess. Maybe that's my Superman name. I think I get it backwards. <laughs> anyway, you're a Michigan musician out here in L.A. for a pretty good while. Uh, why California as opposed to... Any of the other like places, New York, New York yeah. or Nashville or wherever. I mean, as a kid, it's you know, it's this is this was it. This was it. You come out to the beach, you see the skateboarding, you see the uh, surfing, the whole thing. And um, you know, even all those bands. I mean, I loved Guns N' Roses as a kid, so this is just where you had to be, and I love it. The seventies bands loom large. Yeah, you know, I was uh, I was really into Hotel California. Oh, it's great. I was a huge Joe Walsh fan. Love that era of the Eagles and. You know that that decade, that like seventies decadence, yeah. and not that I I necessarily wanted to be decadent myself, but like the allure of those sunsets with the yellow, oh. with the palm trees, and the nice weather. Growing up, shoveling snow, yes, yeah, and like uh, you know, jump starting cars and stuff. Like I, I, like it was like a magical place. Absolutely, I mean the I love that seventies and early eighties sort of excess. You know that you yeah. see, and you're just I was, it looks, you know, you come out here, it looks like the postcard. Yeah. So it definitely delivers. Now, what, um, what was when you first got here? Like, what was the first thing you did? Like, had you had a band? I guess that you no, left I, behind, or I uh, I came out here. I didn't know a soul, and so you just trying to try to pick up, you know, get jobs here and there. And I remember I was really trying to get a job as a um, a towel boy at some of the hotels, you know, that would hand out a towel. And and then uh, believe it or not, it was actually a really difficult job to get. And um, you know, I had this whole idea of just spending days handing out towels, like working on my suntan, whatever. Uh, that did not happen. I was at one point going to be a mechanical bull operator at the Saddle Ranch. but Seriously? Yeah. My uh, parents were proud. Uh, that didn't pan out. Um, then I ended up getting an internship at um, at a management company, a couple of different management companies. One of them, they managed Motley Crue at the time, which was a blast. And, um, and then just kind of met people here and there and started, you know, playing and then it just kind of takes you in all these different directions did you do the college thing before you came out here a little yeah i did i, I went to um syracuse in new york my freshman year and then um i ended up going to a small school up in santa clara um transferred and then moved down here immediately after. what did you study in school uh journalism interesting yeah we didn't would have expected that out of you uh tell me about it it's yeah it does change you know mark knopfler was it journalism? I did not know that. Um, that's you know, it's like you. I think learning, learning how to get people to tell you their story, mm-hmm. and then kind of reprocessing that is a way. It's it's like I think it's good for songwriting. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. It helps you. Uh, I don't know because you know I feel like as artists, you know, we're kind of like we're observers and reinterpreters mm. of things. You know, we take what we see in the world around us and then kind of factor it through our little meat grinder. <laughs> and then you know, serve it up in a way that makes people consider something in a different way, or it, I, feel something in a different way. I never thought of that, but yeah, that's that makes total sense. So then, you know, how did you start putting your band together? Uh, you know, just playing with friends, and um, I was doing a thing at Piano Bar, so they would have it was kind of a musician crew, and um, you just meet people that way. And once you know, you do a gig with somebody, and you meet other musicians, and it just kind of it's like this exponential friend circle. And, um, 
the guys that I'm playing with now, Derek, uh, Derek Brown, who's an incredible drummer. He, I met him doing another gig and, um, the same thing with Adam Marcos, who's the bass player. And, um, we'd just been friends and known each other for a little while and just kind of decided to, to try it out. And it's been, I don't know, about six, seven months now. Wow. Yeah. So it's relatively new. Yeah, definitely. And what made you decide? Okay. So let's, let's rewind a little bit, even before sure. your band. Um, so you were coming, you came out here working odd jobs, mm -hmm. just doing whatever you can, like, like all good artists do, like anything yeah. you can do to get to keep food. That's right. Yeah. Coming and sleep indoors by choice. Cause I like <laughs> sleeping outdoors, but only by choice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so you started to find some gigs and some, I mean, I'm jig, gigs, I mean jobs. Mm -hmm. um, and then you started playing music gigs and were you like making money as a musician? Cause that's a really hard thing to do in LA. It was, um, there was a guy that would put these bands together. His name is Barry Squire. Um, and I remember the first gig I got was this girl named Katie Rose. And she was at the time she was, I think about 16 and, um, it was really kind of my first look into a traveling. She was touring a bit, actually a lot. And um, it was a blast. It was like the experience was really incredible playing all over all over the world. And so things just sort of jumped off from there. Um, so I guess for that, I was, I was lucky to, to do that. And then, so it's an early gig, like you jumped right was, into it a It was situation. a pretty early gig, yeah, within probably the first like year and a half of being here. So it was... And he's sort of back into it. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. The regrets are funny things. The only regrets I, I've decided that I have in my life are that the things that I've done, both good and bad, I wish I had done them sooner. Yeah. I know what you mean. Like yeah. the bad things and the things I regret, like the bad things I think I've done, I wish I would have done them sooner just to get them out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. And the things that I've come to love about my uh, my existence, I wish I would have done sooner so that I could do more of them. Uh, yes. Yeah. You know? uh, it's funny how that works out. So <laughs> then... Um, the the touring also teaches you some other really important aspects of like being a professional musician because mm -hmm. you know we had a rule when we were touring on the bus like if you you know if the lobby call is nine the bus is leaving at you know nine yeah or if the, oh, that, yeah. That's not true. the lobby call is nine that means the bus is leaving at nine thirty and if you're not in the bus at nine thirty yeah you're gone you are finding your own way to the next town yeah it definitely teaches you discipline and there is yeah I agree it's it's good well at that level was that a van or a bus thing. She had, uh, well, we were doing a lot of... Like a Winnebago kind of... Well, for her, she would um, she was doing a lot of one-off gigs. And so okay. we'd, we'd kind of go overseas and stuff. So it would just be, you know, promo, a lot of promo. And then we did do a, a bus um, tour for a bit. And it was, yeah, you learn... I mean, when you're in a bus, a big two... Um, same thing with a van. I've done van tours as well. And you got, you know, the warm bottle of uh, Aquafina hitting you in the back of the, uh, the ankles. <laughs> right. Um, but... Yeah, she, you learn a lot about being just in a group of people, like in a little, you know, metal tube. Yeah. Cruising around the country. The pressure cooker. Yeah. That's the hurry up and wait life. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and would you say, you know, I've always heard the adage, or many people have said it, which is, you know, when you're doing, you know, music for a living, you're not really paid to perform. No, you're paid to travel. You're yeah. paid to, like, <laughs> suffer, you know, like crappy flights, early flights early call times you yeah. know crappy dressing rooms poor, bad food little sleep like you're paid to endure yeah that's, and then it's that 90 minutes or 60 minutes that you're on stage like that's why you do all well, and it stuff. makes it all worthwhile yeah you're yeah. right now um i want you to play another song here in just a few minutes but were you this whole time that you were playing with other artists like give me a list I mean, you sent them to me but i want you to just list off some of the folks that you've you've sure. toured with like um recently a most recently, I was playing with Shelby Lynn. Um, 
And then, you know, a couple of Vantors is a band called Dirty Sweet that I played with. There was a psych band that I played with called The High Saints. Uh, I was on Interscope with a band called The Wild Feathers. Um, and then a few singer-songwriters around town. Sam Morrow, who's been, who's on your show, is great. Um, and this guy, uh, he goes by uh, Brother Sal, who you know, Dave Emmerglow, who plays with him quite a bit. So just kind of, you know, in town especially, kind of anybody that'll take me. Yeah. Um, and just trying to stay busy and all that. Yeah. So as you're playing with all these other people, you know, kind of working your way through the music business, kind of building your network, you know, making friends and friends who will get you gigs, um, were you writing? Because it's sideman stuff yeah. is very different from, like, being the person. Yes, I was. Um, I was writing a lot on the road. I would try to, you know come up with some lyrics here and there but i was always pretty timid about singing and writing you know lyrics i wanted to be a guitar player in a rock band and that was kind of my focus but i was always you know writing rick riffs and you know various licks and whatever um but yes i was always writing and so the eventual plan was i guess that's maybe I'm, i'm not phrasing this the right way uh, cause I was kind of the same way. Now I always sang all the way along, but like the way bands were growing up, I just was planning. I would be like a David Gilmore guy who sang some songs, played most of the guitar or in a Van Halen situation where I was playing lots of guitar and maybe singing some background vocals. But then like I got bit by the songwriting bug somewhere along yeah, the way yeah. that it wasn't enough just to play other people's tunes. That's exactly so how it worked happened. out yeah. for you too. Yeah. And so, you know, so you're riding around on the bus and it's weird because you, with that hurry up and wait lifestyle, um, you don't get a lot of alone time. No, you don't. No. You know, so are you just kind of like doing this all in your head, like recording things when you can, or yeah, you know, I think um, journals help a bit, like or just cocktail nap, whatever you got. You know, if there's a phrase or something that kind of comes out of nowhere, um, playing. I feel like sometimes if you don't have something to record, playing guitar, you just the things that really stick out are the things that you kind of come to over and over again the rest of it just sort of like if it's not hitting you sort of right away it just sort of leaves yeah um so i mean i just try to remember these riffs and songs and chord changes and whatever yeah so then that started to kind of coalesce into something that you knew at one point you wanted to kind of do your own thing yeah yeah and now you know with leroy from the north is this just kind of one of the arrows in your quiver you know or Uh, is your goal to make that your your main thing that you know it became it just sort of it's it sort of got a, its life you know its own like a life of its own and um i never really intended to just start this this band i just I, I was trying to get gigs and um and it seemed like a way to just sort of take the reins at some point and just and start a new band that where i can be the less people involved it's easier right and i think that a lot of times people have they're playing in other bands, and that can be difficult to sort of wrangle people. And um, you know, just ended up finding a couple guys that were like minded, and we just did it that way. Yeah, that can be a big challenge. Definitely. I found in this town. I mean, it's a, it's a, certainly a challenge in every town. Mm-hmm. You know, it's every musician, they're you know they're trying to make their way. Yeah, you know whatever that is. Well, and it's totally fair. Like I, I can't you know expect somebody to sort of hang out and wait for you know a tour to come up or something right so it's i get it because I, I was doing the same thing as a sideman so yeah we we're trying to be as loose and and organic i guess if right. you will you know but um i totally get it I, you know it's it's hard out there sometimes and um 
but you know it's it's nice that when you can have this sort of camaraderie and, and musical sort of um you know there's a like-mindedness there that i, I right. really dig it's a band of brothers situation totally. you know because i didn't go into the military Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't play, I played some sports, but not a ton of team sports. I'm more of a runner, climber, hiker, like sol- solitary sport yeah, kind yeah, of thing. And there's a mean. handful of people around, um, but it's not like a team sport where you've got that esprit de corps. You've got that thing that you're all doing together and you're a team. And like, I've got these buddies who have pictures of them and their little league team won first place in the <laughs> region, whatever, from when they were kids. And I never had that experience. But I mm-hmm. think as humans, at least for me, I long for that. Yeah, and since I didn't get it with sports, like the band is how I'm going to get that. That's, yeah, I can definitely see that because you meet so many people. You know, I have a lot of friends now because of playing music yeah. out here. Yeah, and it's hard. Like I said, it's hard to find. There's so many bands, and everyone's trying to make their way, and and it can that can almost seem insurmountable sometimes. And I think mm-hmm. maybe that ties into the three piece thing because it's like then you only have to get two guys' schedules or three people's schedules to line up. Yeah, that's that is very true, and you know I think. Just trying to stay focused and doing your because you're right. There are a lot of great bands, a lot of great musicians, and I think everyone sort of has this thing to offer, you know. So yeah, and there's something that's that can be a little bit more positive about that, and, and being like we're we're just doing our thing, you know, yeah. and trying to figure it out. How far, you know, with Leroy from the North, you guys haven't been playing that terribly long. No, I mean, I found most of my friends who are having success in the music business at kind of our independent-ish level. You know, striving, you know, mm-hmm. working forward to you know make more money and get a you know bigger reach. Um, they're playing a lot of shows out of town because yeah. LA is very saturated. There's a ton of people here, mm-hmm. but it's it's saturated. It's you know, most yeah. people who are going to come see me play are musicians themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, so even if they've got the night off, then I've got to convince them to leave their house because yeah. they're tired because they played six nights or whatever. Or unless there's a club that kind of has a built-in crowd already. A scene. Yeah, yeah. You know, and there's kind of a thing going on. Down mm-hmm. at the Echo. Um, for a while, there was one at Tex. I used to play at yep. Tex very regularly. I love that place. Yeah. Me too. Very odd PA system, but you know, <laughs> it's a cool place to play. Yeah. Um, so are you are you striving to kind of get away? Absolutely. And get out among the people? Yeah. I think we're just, what we're trying to do is get all of our ducks in a row before we actually start going out and, and trying to make sure that we're finding the right club that, that would fit us. Um, I think it would be great to get out and start touring. Um, but, you know, we have something that we need to tour on as well. So when this this uh, record comes out, that'll be yeah. kind of a good time. Let's talk about that in just a minute. But first, yeah. another live song. What's this next one? Uh, this next one is going to be called Pawn Shop. Pawn Shop. And is there really a pawn shop in this? There is, yeah, actually. It, it killed me when you were talking about this, when you were playing this, because, uh, you know... Uh, when you're talking about this before, like I thought you said poncho. <laughs> so it's the same thing. So people pay yeah. attention, see if the, see when the poncho reference comes up. <laughs> okay, so this week's guest on Independence Day, Eli Wolfmeyer. His band is Leroy from the North. This is the song Pawnshop, which you'll hear a re- uh, recorded version of later in the year, probably end of summer or so from Leroy. Is, are you going to call it Eli Wolfmeyer or is it going to be Leroy from the, from it'll, the North? It'll be Leroy from the North. Okay, yeah, smart. Better way to do that anyway. All right, so this is Eli Wolfmeyer. The song is Pawnshop. Catch long 
gentle stare As you're passing through the doorway What have they known? What does anybody know about you now? And when you're seeing red and you're talking to the wind Nobody listens, they don't even know your name No they don't, no they don't, no they don't You got alone, the friends you got Well they're not the ones gonna help you out No, they won't help you in any way so scared you're hanging around at the county fair pushing a little grass and cold look at you now there you go and when you're seeing red and you're talking to the wind nobody listens they don't even know you're there no they don't That is Eli Wolfmeyer playing the electric guitar, the Telecaster, for anybody who wants to check that out. Yeah. Excellent stuff, man. But live, you do like an SG uh, mm-hmm. with a P90 pickup kind of thing. This is a little bit of tech nerdery here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so why, every time I've seen you play, at least I've seen you play live, it's that SG. Like, why do you, why that? I love the way it sounds. Uh, it feels and plays like a telly. It's kind of got this sort of, P, you know, the P90 single coil thing happening. Uh, sometimes I play a Les Paul too, um, but mainly that, and it's light and it's, yeah. you know, 
I, I just love the way it sounds. The P90 pickup, for those of you who aren't musicians, is kind of a rare, somewhat rare beast in the world. It definitely yeah. exists. There's plenty of them out there. But most guitars are either what's called a single coil or a humbucking pickup. Stratocasters, Telecasters are single coils. Generally speaking, Les Pauls, ES335s, Les style guitars are humbucking guitars. And this P90 kind of sits in the middle. Yeah. It's beastly. Yeah. It's kind of hard. It's like a, it's kind of hard to wrangle. It's like a snake almost. You know, do you I, find it to be that way as well? Yeah, which makes it that's the thing, that's the beauty of it. Yeah, if you can, uh, because you guys like you guys like me, like we play like uh, older guitars ideally through a tube mm-hmm. amp and they can be fickle. Yeah, like day to day, it sounds a little different, but I like that though. I do too. Yeah, it makes you play different. You know, you have to adapt, it's not always the same. Uh, anyway, so that was a track called Pawn Shop. We're gonna hear another live song here in just a little bit, but first, I want to talk about you've got the you're kind of in the midst of this record. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of called from a couple different sessions, and yeah. so like, just walk me through this process. Like, how long ago did you decide, like, okay, I'm going to make a record now? Was that mm-hmm. a couple years ago, five years ago? Yeah, I would say this is probably a couple years ago, uh, maybe almost three years ago. Before before you'd even assembled this band, yeah. So I was playing the the people that are on these recordings for the most part are friends of mine that do a lot of sessions as well. So. I had these songs that, that I really wanted to just sort of get down and explore. And um, I called some, you know, friends of mine and they came in and I thought did a really great job. So uh, we've been playing a lot of those songs. And then with this new band, we're playing, you know, new songs and trying to improvise over the top of them and the whole thing. So will the record be like called from both of those sets of sessions from the different players? I think it's going to be probably two different. Okay. Um, two different releases. Yeah. yeah. Like an EP and an LP kind yes, of thing. Yep. Okay. Um, so what's the same and what's the different about each of those? Uh, well, the first one I did... Other than you, of course, I'm sorry. Sure, yeah. The first one, there were a couple different musicians. Um, I played with my friend Dax on drums. Uh, we did this all over at Sunset Sound with this, the producer, Jeff Neal. And um, the, you know, it's the same sort of tone, I think, in general. But um, it's just, it was a, that was the first thing that I recorded. And... Um, you know, it, I think it probably has a little bit bigger sound. I haven't really thought about it too much, but um, it's just it's just kind of a different thing, different musicians, different approaches. And, um, you know, I, I like it. We were definitely thinking of that sort of 70s small drum sound, you know, that kind of, um, you know, Joe Walsh, that kind of, uh, that sort of waking up in Malibu on, you know, the beach or, you know, Topanga or something. Yeah. So... So when you approach these songs in the studio, you know, having seen you play now mm-hmm. solo, kind of both acoustic and electric here in our studio, and then having you seen play a live show with Leroy from the North, which is kind of like a, a three-piece Almany kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There are two approaches, I, well, there's a million approaches, but there's kind of two general approaches for going into the studio. Uh, approach A, go into the studio with the intent to kind of play the songs kind of close to the way they would be live if people heard them live with, within the framework of your three-piece. Mm-hmm. And then the other one, B, is just do what the songs want to be. You know, and I, I, Joe, we keep coming in back to this Joe Walsh. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've, I've always felt Joe Walsh is someone who, like, he, he arranges guitars and guitar tones and paints mm. with colors. So even if you have like a, like Joe Walsh solo music will be much more than a three piece, even though the James Gang was a three piece. Yeah. Like, do you, which, which approach would you say? Is it a mixture? Is it? Well, the, the second session that I did, um, was definitely that we figured we'd go in there and do um, a solo for instance and you know the the producer would would say why don't we 
why don't we just try to, instead of comping that, you know, where you just take a bunch of different takes from the solo and figure, cobble something together. It's like, let's just do the whole thing, figure out what the solo is and just do it in one or two takes and just get those. So it's a written thing. And sometimes that can be a different, you know, when you don't have much time, you have to sort of comp these solos together right. at times. And, uh, but this, we really took our time with it and, um, and I'm really proud of the way it turned out. Tones, we checked out a bunch of different guitars, a bunch of different amps, and uh, and tried to figure out how they play with each other. Different, you know, um, the way that certain fingering of the chords, and you know, tried to just make a make it all sort of fit together like a puzzle. So you're kind of kind of doing a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you're kind of approaching it. You want the songs to be playable live. Yes. I, you always come back to the Beatles when you start getting into these studio conversations, like making <laughs> yeah. a record, because they they they're they're Creativity was so expansive, and it was a time when technology was expanding the ability for us to do these things as musicians. And they 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 exceeded. You know, there's there's other factors at play too: money, drugs, fame, etc. Yeah, but yeah. they they get to a point when the studio where it's like, well, we're not really going to be concerned with playing these songs live anymore. And there's certain bands like XTC mm-hmm. where they never really they did play some live shows, but they're like, well, we're really, you know just kind of a studio band. There's no intent whatsoever to ever play these live. So then it just becomes whatever you do creatively in the studio. I I love that too, but I I mean playing these songs live is is important. I think so. To you, yeah, you're right. You have to sort of you want to explore and get you know as weird as you can, but you also want to make sure that you can play them how they sound. Yeah. And why did you pick the studio or studios that you did? Because there's there's a billion of those too. Well, a friend of mine, he was working at uh, Sunset, and so we decided to check that out for a bit. And he, we talked to for a while. We, you know, got a couple of drinks, and we're like, we should try something. I recorded with him with a couple different bands, and then um, with uh, Rob over at uh, Mant, he, the band that I was playing in, this band, the Wild Feathers, was working with him. Um, a few years ago and we just had a really good chemistry and um, we ended up just chatting and, and figuring something out and got a, a few days together and just went for it. Now, are these people that you're working with in these studios, are they like serving in the capacity of a producer? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you're kind of, that's a that's a delicate relationship, like learning to trust someone with your Absolutely. Songs. And that's, that is, they can, you know, tell me if, um, if I do something like that sounds terrible or you know and it's yeah. and it's fine you have this sort of we both are on the same team of trying to make it as good as we possibly can right now how did you develop that kind of, i guess you just from working with those other bands that's how you kind of develop yeah. the rapport yeah. and the and the, the level of trust because that's a hard thing you know you hear these legendary stories about bands we were talking about counting crows before mm-hmm. when we were kind of setting things up and how you know that first record they did with t-bone burnett legendary yeah producer. it sounds and amazing I, oh it sounds amazing it's a it's it's a, it's a it's a very less is more record. The mm-hmm. band was smaller then, yeah. and he really stripped a lot of things away. And I've I've read stories that like they fought with oh. him because you know the music people forget music sounded kind of different at that time in the early nineties. We were just coming out of the eighties. Mm-hmm. Everything was gated snares and like chorusy guitars, like that earthy thing that came into play in the nineties didn't really hadn't really happened yet. Yeah, yeah, and. You know, I don't know what made T Bone think that that's the way they should go, but it was brilliant. Yes, but I've did. always read like he set him up in a house with a bunch of recording stuff, or maybe in a studio, and he would leave, and they'd record stuff all day and overdub parts and add this and add that, and then he'd come in at the end of the day and be like, "Take this out, take that out, take that out, lose this, lose this, re-record this," and like they got mad at him. Yeah, you trim the fat. You trim the fat, but like mm-hmm. they, as, as such a young band, 
you know, you know, now their band is much is bigger. It's more people in it. Sure, yeah. Um, but you know, it's that sometimes it's that tension. Yeah, you're like yeah. trying to find that like right amount of tension that's going to make it good. Yeah, you want them, somebody to push yourself. You know, yeah. push you. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you know, you got the people, then you got the uh, um, the, the room mm-hmm. together. You got the songs together. Um, you know, where does it go from there? Like, how do you then suss out like what becomes? Because it's when you're when you're like emerging as a solo artist, mm-hmm. I should say, you kind of want to present yourself to the world as something. Like, is that Again, there's two approaches to this. Do you want to just be whatever it is that you are, or did you you want to cultivate something like I am this and this is what I am and here's what I'm doing? You know, I think that is the million dollar question, and um, I think that it during this time, we, you know, I was just trying to figure out what it is, and I think that we've taken a, a few years to to figure that out and see what's working and what's not, and it's starting to become a thing that I I feel like um, has a little bit more of an identity. Um, and again, you know, guys like Joe Walsh and that sort of classic rock thing, it's, it's something that I can't, I can't run away from. It's, I, I love it. It's part of me. So I think that it carries. There's, I think with music technology being the way it is, like now, you know, with my metaphor with a paint painter is like, well, you need to learn when to put down the brush. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. In terms of thinking about like, especially when you're in the studio now, now we have essentially unlimited tracks mm-hmm. unless you commit to doing something on an analog thing or whatever. Like with most of the software we have, you can do as much as you want. Now you're not Pink Floyd, yeah. but <laughs> you know, you have to kind of learn where that line is. And I think, I know I'm guilty of, of like thinking things through before I do it, especially because I'm doing with limited resources. Mm-hmm. I have yeah. X amount of money to go in there and do what I do. So you know, I try to pre-plan things, but like, we also have to balance that with the spontaneity. Absolutely, yeah. You know, because you you kind of like foment a situation where you can get in there and like where magic can kind of happen. But can you can you summon magic, or it's it's show business, or is magic something that you create and then present? Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean. Like, yeah. I love these discussions because yeah. like I, I'm a big Tom Waits fan. There's a little bit of artifice mm. in art. You know, like people want to think like, you know, there's that whole thing about, you know, uh, if the Stones are writing about being in the basement with a needle and a spoon, at one point they were in the basement with a yeah, needle and a spoon. Yeah, of course. Steve Earle writes about, you know, how the what's the song about the pistol? Oh. Uh, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was arrested, put in jail for having a pistol. And, but like, we don't, it's not healthy to live no, those things. There's a certain amount of artistic license, and like I love listening to Tom Waits interviews because he does everything he can to obfuscate the truth <laughs> and, and muddy the waters. Yeah, like because the legend can grow to be something completely on its own, and it doesn't mean that you're fake. Like you know, I think in our world, like this kind of alt countryish rock world, like being authentic is a really big. Yeah, there's thing. like this sensibility. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's an authentic sensibility. You know, we. You know, we wear the shows clothes on stage that we wear off stage. You know, start showing up around town wearing a cowboy shirt. Sure, yeah, not unusual. Um, you want to be authentic, but there sometimes that can kind of remove the fun. I agree. I, again, it's this Joe Walsh thing of like it's it's the sense of humor. And, you yeah, know, I think that there can be this, you know, like I said, like a, a velour tracksuit with yeah. a cowboy hat. It's kind of like. It doesn't have to be so serious all the time. Right. It's a fine line because there's those bands, like people, uh, there's bands who are known for being kind of clever and funny. Mm-hmm. Um, Bare Naked Ladies, yeah. They Might Be Giants, 
Uh, Joe Walsh to a certain extent, although he's got enough rock cred that yeah, he, he manages to kind of they just they know him as kind of like the court jester. Yeah, but the yeah, the life's been good to me kind of thing. Totally, one of my favorite songs, by mm-hmm. the way. Um, or, or uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Todd Snyder. Oh, uh, B-W-R-U-N, Beer mm-hmm. Run. Like he did so many funny songs. When he goes to do a serious song, like sometimes it's hard for me to swallow the fact that he's trying to be serious. Yeah, you know. So like, how, I mean, how do you? You know, we'll play. We'll have you play the next song in just a second. But last question: Like, how do you mix in just like the right amount of humor? Is there a way to cultivate that? You know, I guess I'm trying to figure that out too. Sometimes it just happens, and sometimes I'm like, oh, it's kind of funny, or is this like, you know, is this not funny at all, and it's just kind of right. corny? Um, yeah. I don't know. And I, I hear, you know, it's sometimes it can be delivery, and like certain yeah. certain words sound interesting, and sometimes yeah. they don't. It's that stagecraft thing that I was talking about. Joe Walsh yeah. has a little bit of it. Um, you know, Tom Waits certainly has it in spades. Where, you know, you don't have to have a circus, but presenting your and you're an entertainer. Like yeah. presenting yeah, the audience with something outside of the ordinary is desirable. Yeah, you know, I agree. Like if they don't, they're not going to watch. Like my mom always called Dave Matthews the the accountant because <laughs> he on stage he like yeah, she's like well see that. who's that guy? I mean, I kind of like his songs, but he he just looks like an accountant. So like he had that weird thing with his foot yeah and like an interesting band with interesting arrangements but, but he had a thing you know but he had a thing yeah it was his own thing uh so how about one more song man what's sure. this last one gonna be uh this one's called junkies junkies and are there junkies in this song as well uh yes a bit it's just kind and, of a, a sort of a uh a landscape of stuff i was taking in in la yeah that's around man it's you know around. drugs are uh drugs are bad yeah, as they say, stay in school. As yeah. they say in South Park, stay in school, kids. Uh, but you know, whatever you do, do it responsibly. You know, That's I'm not right. going to tell people how to live, but like, just don't hurt other people. Is, the, is I guess the bottom rule. So, exactly. Eli Wolfmeyer, trying to get too preachy here. Eli <laughs> Wolfmeyer uh, is our guest this week. His band is Leroy from the North. You can check him out at leroyfromthenorth.com. Also, the same on uh, Instagram as well. And this is the song Junkies. from the sidewalk leading to the rest a mask for all the people waiting for a ride Sun. 
And stuff, Eli. Thank you. I dig it, man. Thank you. I dig it. It's funny. I, I, I feel like a classic rock simpatico with you because I grew up on that stuff. Maybe it's a Midwestern thing. Maybe no. it's not. I don't know. But like the awesomeness of rock and roll, letting rock and roll be rock and roll. I agree. You know, I, yeah. it's like it's part swagger, part feedback, part good song part crappy lyrics like even crappy <laughs> lyrics have a place yeah i agree you know i, I love boston's first album yeah it's amazing i Tom love Schultz. it it's it's audacious in its mm-hmm. in its scope and stuff but the the funny thing is like as much as i love that album the lyrics are terrible oh i yes but that's okay though because like everything else is so awesome well it meant something back then it, it felt worked. like yeah you know. but it works yeah. because you know i don't know that's the funny thing about rock and roll like <laughs> I hate to say this, but there's a certain amount of like, I don't want to say sucking, mm. but there's this like punk is kind of built on this ethos where you don't, you don't know your instrument very well. Yeah, it's about the yeah. attitude, you know? So rock and roll has that, that attitude mixed into it as well. So man, keep carrying the torch. Thank you. I'll, you know, I'll try. You keep making it and people <laughs> will still be coming. And you know, I certainly try to try to get people out to shows and that kind of thing. I love it when people support music that I love and I dig what you're doing. So uh, last question, what, so what's in the future? You got these two records you're working on. Yep. And then are you, you know, like, doing side gigs still you know i think we're gonna figure out what's happening with this record and then um looking to hit the road in in uh the fall fall with your thing Mm -hmm. very nice man yeah i will make sure let me know where you go i mean i've got some safe ports certain places i would appreciate that it's hard man it's hard out there on the road (laughs) i guess you have a new van not yet not yet you're gonna get a van we're gonna have to that's how it goes man you gotta get an econoline that's the way it goes so Eli man thank you for taking time thank you for having me Uh, I love doing I love what you're doing musically and uh, we gotta make some racket one of these days you and me let's turn up the guitars and let's make feedback for a couple hours I would love that yeah me too All right. so thank you to Eli Wolfmeyer also to the Independence Day staff Dale Tanksley, Wayne Dubinsky, and Sally Shackleton the laudable Tony Tone Logue Piscotti manages the Independence Day website Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. Check them out. For Independence Day, I am Joe Armstrong. As always, if you do one thing today, please be good to one another.